Welcome to the second episode of the fall 2020 season of the Manageable Podcast from the UB School of Management, where extraordinary is our ordinary. I'm your host, Anders T. Rosian. Well, actually, I'm not your host this time. For this episode, I've asked my friend and classmate, Malkaija Griffiths, to take the hosting reins for a timely, important, and deep conversation on diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, as it is sometimes referred to by shorthand. Open, honest, and challenging conversations about race, gender, sexuality, and background are as important now as they have ever been, perhaps even more so. The School of Management is facing these conversations as well, with the recognition that change and progress requires both deep reflection and immediate action. Institutions like UB can and should be a positive, constructive force for advancing society and ensuring that the leaders of tomorrow engage the wider community with compassion, inclusivity, and respect. This is a time for hard conversations, and I am so proud to be having them. So let's jump into it, shall we, with our next episode, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another uh, exciting episode of the Manageable Podcast. I am Anders Rosian, and today I am so pleased and excited to, uh, to welcome a guest host for our discussion on diversity, equity, and inclusion here at the University of Buffalo. Uh, this guest host is a classmate of mine in the uh, second year of the MBA program. He and I have, uh, have seen what it's like being on campus, uh, whether it's in person online dealing with you know the uh, discussions that we're having today related to diversity and belonging on campus um, this is a person that I'm so pleased to welcome to to host this conversation today uh, my friend my colleague Malkaija Griffiths welcome Malkaija thank you Anders man uh, it's a real pleasure for to be here today and for you you know inviting me on to host this discussion of, of diversity equity and inclusion man I, I I really feel strongly about it and passionate about it. So, uh, you know, it was a no-brainer when you reached out to me. So I'm just excited, man. Thank you. No-brainer on both sides. I was like, <laughs> I, I know who needs to talk. I, I, know, <laughs> I know who I'm inviting. <laughs> right. And I thank you for just giving me a chance to have some human interaction. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I, I've been feeling a little, a little out of place lately because I'm a, a, a little bit of an extrovert. So it's, it's, been, it's been tough to be in the house and and talk to my computer all day. It's been tough, but we're getting through it. <laughs> yeah, so I, actually, you know, when you do things like this, it's good to bring an army with you, and especially to have a group of people just to have discussions like, like this surrounding DEI. It's very important that it's a group discussion and you get multiple perspectives into play. So with me, and I have them introduce themselves as well. With me, I have uh, my, old, my professor, in the MBA program, as well as uh, the leader of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee in the School of Management. I have Professor Marianne Rogers, if you want to introduce yourself as well. Hello, everyone. I'm Marianne Rogers. I am in the Department of Organization and Human Resources. I'm a clinical associate professor in that department, and I'm the assistant dean for diversity and inclusion. Yes. And, and uh, Marianne Rogers is just phenomenal. She teaches the best communications class in the history of communication classes. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> and 
Um, sorry, a little biased, but uh, yeah, that's that, that's it. That's so far the one I took. That was that was that was a great one. That's um, very kind of you. Thank you. You're missing out this semester now because you know I get to be her TA this semester. So I'm missing that. Oh yes, uh, I pray for the students in that class. <laughs> And also, I have another guest with me, um, another colleague of mine. We've been through a, a lot of other organizations in school, like uh, involving campus living, as well as the School of Management. So I would like to introduce Rebecca Reed as well. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Um, so my name is Rebecca Reed. I'm currently a senior studying accounting um, in the School of Management. And then following after my bachelor's degree, I'll be pursuing a master's in accounting. Um, which will allow me to sit for the CPA. So hoping to be certified soon. Yes, girl. She's ready. <laughs> she is ready. So ready. <laughs> a woman with a plan. That's amazing. <laughs> thank you. So, yeah, thank you both for being here on this Saturday morning, early in the morning. Um, you could have been doing a lot of different things, so I'm glad that you're here today with us. And I just want to first start out with uh, talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion for a second. Like, uh, then let's let's just take it back a little bit and actually see like what those words actually mean to both of you in an everyday in your everyday life. Like, what? How do you go about your life thinking about that, and kind of how does that affect you in just everyday life? Forget organizations, um, just you in general. And I'll start out with uh, I'll pass the mic to Marianne. Okay. All right, I've been lots of uh, definitions of DEI as we like to use the acronym. And uh, my, my favorites, the one that I'm most comfortable using, I'll share with you diversity in its broadest context is understanding that each individual um, is unique and recognizing our individual differences, right. and really embracing those differences. Equity is the fair and just treatment of all potential and existing members of the organization and its constituents. Here it would be our faculty, staff, and students. And then inclusion is the conscious effort of, of operationalizing both actively and intentionally diversity and equity within every facet of the organization. Um, <laughs> diversity and inclusion are prerequisites. Uh, I'm sorry, um, diversity and equity are prerequisites for inclusion. So you have to have those pieces in the foundation. And then you, you think about inclusion. There's kind of a, an old used cliche that um, Diversity is inviting everyone to the party. Inclusion is asking them all to dance. And so that's a way you probably heard that before. I probably yeah. but it seems to really <laughs> yeah. help people get some get some shape to it. So um, that's the definitions. Those are the definitions that I carry as I go through mm -hmm. my daily work and thinking about how we can make things better, um, bringing in more opportunities um, from the way that we hire to the way that we recruit to the way that we teach and to the way that we treat the people that we work with. Absolutely. And what I noticed really about what you just said is that interconnectedness of those three terms, like you can't have one without the other and so on and so forth. They all connect and you can work backwards, you can work forward. It's just like kind of three pieces to a, to a pie and um, showing that those are interconnected is really important and actually understanding that diversity actually incorporates those tough conversations and perspectives which leads to inclusion. Mm -hmm. So like, that's, that's how I look at it. And speaking of like tough conversations, Rebecca, like what, how important do you think, you know, tough conversations is in terms of um, diversity and inclusion and even equity? Yeah. Um, I think in terms of 
these pieces is that people have a difficult time having conversations about anything that makes them uncomfortable, um, which is understandable, kind of like that fear of the unknown, so to speak. Um, but I think it's important because this is what allows our communities to be better in general. So like, for example, your college experience is, it's kind of dependent on the environment you're in and the community that you're in. Absolutely. So for example, I can take the same exact accounting classes anywhere. I could have taken them back home in Rochester. I could take them anywhere else in the country. Um, and I've even studied abroad. So I technically could have taken them, you know, in, in the country that I was in at the time. Um, but what each of those places, what like has to be in common, so to speak, is the community that you're in. So mm -hmm. whatever classes you're taking, how people treat you is indicative of how you see your experience. So whether or not I had a good experience when I studied abroad in China at the time, depended on how the students in a whole other country treated me, how they saw my differences, and not just like the color of my skin, but the fact that I spoke differently than them. I spoke a whole different language than them. Um, the fact that my interests in food were different, like all of that. I think um, our experiences in life are indicative based on our communities and how our communities respond to us. So these conversations are so important to have so that way people become more comfortable with understanding differences and then are better able to address when anyone else or something else is different, how to better address uh, handling in those situations. Absolutely. And that acceptance, right? Because a lot of people are from different communities, right? And you will want to feel, especially when you're talking about you're going to China and you're studying abroad, like it, it's, it's very important how you receive those situations and how people accept you and just see like how you are and just know that you're also a human being, but you're different, but we're, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all the same in, yeah. in, in a certain way on a, we're all human and we all like to be received positively, positively. So um, speaking of the acceptance part of that and kind of everything that you're talking about, about community, um, community sometimes is left out of diversity and equity and, and inclusion. I don't know if y'all feel the same way. I just feel like there's a couple of misconceptions surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion that people really don't know about. So do you, does any of you, Anders as well, um, I guess I'll extend that to Anders first to talk about, do you know or see any misconceptions that people usually take on when it, in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think what I first just want to lift up something that, that mm -hmm. Rebecca mentioned, which is Absolutely. just being comfortable with mm -hmm. being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there is a need to begin having these conversations in places where you might not have had those conversations before. Right. So that is in your community, of course, right? With your neighbors, right? Don't be afraid to kind of walk up and say, you know, hey, how's your day going? Also, by the way, you know, you know how involved are you in, in helping others around the area? How, how often are you getting in conversations about whether it's, um, whether it's protests, whether it's uh, systemic racism, whether it is, um, you know, uh, how, the police is interacting with the community. These are all conversations that we have to be ready to just engage in more often. Mm -hmm. So that can be with your neighbors. That can be even within, you know, the household. You might have a very different uh, understanding and idea of what systemic racism is from, you know, the generations above you. And so you can't really be afraid to maybe approach your parents and say, what, what have you been doing recently to talk about racism and to, to talk about, you know, dealing with uh, injustice in our society. And, and when it does come to, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, these conversations, they, they can be framed in 
the areas of race. They can be framed in the areas of gender, um, sexual orientation. All of these mm -hmm. are things that we need to be willing mm -hmm. to have the conversation with somebody and say, hey, you know, have you actually thought about this? Have you moved beyond your default narrative, beyond that first idea that you think, oh, I'm, uh, you know, for me personally, I need to move beyond the idea of the default that I'm, I'm white. Therefore, that is just what it is generally. That's no, that's not true. That is one way of encountering the world. That is one way of engaging with people. You have to actually, you know, see beyond and be willing to engage. So I really appreciated what Rebecca had to say about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's really, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because that is a model that I, I follow. And I, I was going to respond to that, but it's just, I had another thing on my mind. Thank you for reminding me because what Rebecca said, that is super important. And I think that's something that I carried through um, academia since I got to university at Buffalo, just being, just putting myself, just going away far from home, eight, eight hours away from New York City, Queens, New York, where I'm from and just living a certain way and coming to a, a upstate New York in Buffalo, amazing place, but just with new experiences and being uncomfortable in new experiences, not, not analyzing race, leaving race alone for a second, just a new experience and being somewhere that I'm um, not used to. So that uncomfortability and turn that into being comfortable is very, it's very tough. Man. It's, 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 it's hard to master. And I don't think you can master it, but just acknowledging it, like you said, Andres, just acknowledging the space that you're in and what's your role. Cause everybody has a role in DEI. Everybody has a role, no matter if you like it or not, or think you don't, you have a role in it. So that's a mixing a misconception that I think you said right there. Like people kind of don't think that they belong in the conversation, no matter where they're from whatever demographic they are, but mm. you, you are, you belong in the conversation because every, it's, it's, it's interconnected. Mm. You know, what, what, what is, what do you think about that, um, Rebecca? Yeah, I actually was going to echo the point of Anders when he said, um, like started to explain different groups, because I think one misconception of DEI is that people assume that it's just about race. Like, um, so for example, right. If you're in a group of friends and say you have a black one black friend and then maybe uh, Asian friends, white friends, you'll assume that you're diverse. And sure, you may be diverse in terms of race, but there are a lot of different facets to DEI. So, like another example of that is um, the way we refer to different things. I think goes back a a long time um, in terms of like what our knowledge of differences is now is really uh based on what people said before so like for example individuals who have differently abled bodies we're so used to saying disabled Absolutely. when Absolutely. they're not disabled they're just differently abled um and it's the same thing in terms of mental health there's still a lot of stigma around that and uh conversations still need to be had about that but i think that mental health is just another facet of dei it's not that people there's something wrong with people there's just something different about the way they think about it um, or the way their brain responds to, to certain stimuli. So I think um, to Anders' point, it's really good to talk about the fact that DEI is not just, it's an all-encompassing term, but it is not just about race. It's about race, gender expression, uh, mental ca capabilities. Like it's everything. It really is everything. And I think the better we can do about addressing each facet of DEI, the better our communities will be in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad to hear these statements. And, um, 
you know, I, we, we hope here in our School of Management and at the university that everyone feels secure and accepted and encouraged. And we want to know, I think, I, um, you know, after the social unrest of June, as awful as the situation is and as difficult as these times are, if there's one silver lining, it's that it really, these events really shone a light on the work that we have to do. Um, I was guilty of this myself thinking when I was appointed to my role in 2019, I thought this is great. I'm in a university that cares so much about DEI and works on it both academically and um, there's a, a professional office to make sure that you know, compliance is taking place. But aside from that, the culture of our school that I always really felt was um, progressive and open and inclusive and wanted to foster uh, a culture of belongingness. Um, that was true, but we still have so much more than we can do. And the, the thing about the uncomfortable conversations, this is something that the university has been working on a lot this summer. And there is a real fear, I think no matter who we are, that we're gonna say something wrong. I've told this to our dean in the early days of the summer. I, I said, I, I just, uh, you know, it, it gets you back to that place where you think you're on top of everything, but we don't know what we don't know. And that's a terrible feeling. And I, and I think that people are really afraid of, of appearing um, ignorant or out of touch. And I think that's the most frightening part of these kinds of conversations for most. And I, and I think as a university, we're starting to get our footing as to having more forums and getting through that, that discomfort and really making strides in doing this the way that it really should be done. Yeah, that, that is super important that you acknowledge that, Marianne, because that, I think that, that at its premise is the reason why more, sometimes more doesn't happen is because people are afraid to, to step on toes or they're walking on eggshells because they think another group is going to be offended. Actually, that couldn't be more true, um, untrue, I'm sorry, untrue, uh, in terms of not wanting to step on somebody's toes because in, in, in life, people are going to make mistakes, right? Before um, this talk and another talk, Rebecca just said something about disabled. Like I would have said that word if she didn't say that and that no they're not disabled they're differently able i would have said that word and that and, and it would have been right on this podcast but that would have been a mistake that i would have made and i would have to live in my mistake and move forward and acknowledge that i was wrong acknowledge that okay i need to be aware that i need to have more of a a total span and scope of different topics and different facets of dei not just what's in my scope and being, you know, just a sponge and learning about different things. Like I, I don't consider myself as differently able. So I wouldn't be that much in depthly connected to that world, which is okay. However, it's not okay for me not to be aware of what are the things that that minority group goes through. So that's a learning moment for me. And I think people have to not be afraid of learning moments. That's what life is. Nobody's going to, yes, you'll be corrected, but that's the journey. That's the process. And now from you being corrected and receiving that feedback, well, like, oh, I apologize. Excuse me for my misknowledge. I'm aware now and I'll actually do more research. Me acknowledging that we're moving on and we're moving to a, a, a closer place as human beings because we're acknowledging wrongness. And I'm looking at you and saying, hey, brother, sister, I apologize because that's what we all are. And I think once we do that, we're, we're, we're going to be moving forward and we'll see how receptive 
people of all different minority groups are when they see that people are trying. I think it, I think it affects more people and people are more, um, has more emotion of, of, of sadness and anger towards the, uh, when people aren't involved in it, because it, it just seems like you don't care. We don't know what you're thinking in your mind. We don't know that you're scared to say the wrong thing. And if you are, it's fine. We all go through it. And I'm to say openly and being honest that I just had a moment just now. I'm, everybody goes through it, you know? So I just want to put that in there. Yeah, I was going to say to that point really quick is that I think it has to be on both sides. Like, um, if I'm a part of a minority group, I have to have that level of acceptance of, hey, someone might say the wrong thing and I can't immediately come from for their character. Absolutely. Like, oh, they meant it. Like, they Absolutely. meant to offend me. They tried to, you know, it's not from that intention. So I think it's on the side of the minority group, but it's also on the side of the individual that may make a mistake to not to have some level of grace and not incorporate pride and say, well, I was just trying to help or I was just trying to, you know, say something that might be useful. Um, so I think it's on both sides of the issue is uh, individuals in the minority group have to have to extend the grace and be able to receive it as well um, when those mistakes do come up. The, the phrase that I keep hearing is we have to be open to being vulnerable and that can be really frightening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just even, uh, even in space like this, I, I would hope that and, uh, you know, I would hope that we are creating opportunities for people to learn how to be vulnerable and to just really learn. And, um, uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much all I have to say about it. But that really is the spirit of the, of the thing. And, um, uh, you know, I, that, that's all I have to say. Yeah, yeah and that one that, of my favorite terms. Oh, cool. oh sorry, Mel. Um, one of my favorite terms, this is from like um, community discussions I've been involved in and, you know, different group, uh, group activities is take space, make space. So, you know, absolutely. There's, a, there's a time where it's up to you as the individual to actually take up space and say something. And then after that, you have to step back and allow someone else to fill the space next. So it, it's a give and take. It is a conversation back and forth and it's understanding that there is a continual progress forward through that. You take up, but then you step back and you make as much space as needs to be there for everyone's voices to be heard. Give grace and make space. I love give it. Gra yeah. give, give grace and make space. I think that incorporates everything that everybody just said. I think that's important to realize that you don't have to be the person, you don't have to come on too strong. It is, it is a vulnerable topic and it is new to people to be expressing um, things openly in a time like this. So that's exactly what you said is, is completely important. And switching gears a little bit, not too much, but um, I kind of wanted to ask, is there a specific level of like diversity, equity, and inclusion? Like this specific level that something should be operating at like that? Or is it more of like, oh, it could be the minimum or at the maximum. Is there, of course, there's not a maximum. However, is there a minimum? And how does that minimum look, do you th would you think, in an organization? If I might uh, add something there, actually. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who, who recently passed away, may she rest in peace. She was once asked the question, when will there be enough women on the Supreme Court? And her answer to that question was nine, when there are nine women for nine members of the Supreme Court. Now, why would she answer it like that? 
She would say that because the fact is, for so long, there were nine men on the Supreme Court. Um, and I think she also, and I don't want to speak too much for her, but the way I also read that is that this is a pendulum a little bit, right? There has to be, it's not to say that it is equitable or fair to only have nine women on the Supreme Court. It is to say, at some point, that seems like a place that would illustrate the value that women bring to that role, just as the value that men bring to that role. And then after that, there may be eight women and one man, and then seven women and two men, or uh, seven women, one man, and one non-binary person, right? There is no, I think, there's no end point that we're aiming towards. This is a journey that we are continually going on. That's beautifully stated, Anders, truly. And it's, you know, the way that we look at this, we, we, we took a pretty good look at our school. We inventoried our school to see where we have DEI policies mm -hmm. and really um, wanted to, through, through a new light, look at them again. And, you know, I always say we're only bound by our imagination that every single element of our programs and our student body and our faculty, everything there is an opportunity for us to do something better or to do something new. And we, uh, we've come up with a string of ideas that we're implementing this fall that we frankly didn't think about before. And they were right there in front of our eyes. But the key to all of this is constantly having DEI top of mind when something comes across my desk or when someone says something interesting, that can be explored, that can be developed, and that can be launched. And I just feel like uh, there's just no limit to the opportunities that we have. We might not know what some of them are yet, but together, thinking collectively, we can, we can figure out what they are and just continue to move in this direction. Yeah, really quick to that point, I was uh, going to say I feel the same um, as you, Marianne, in terms of the fact, like, I don't know if there's necessarily like a level you can reach where it's like, all right, we have enough diversity now, or we're, you know, we have enough inclusion now. I think you can always be growing, especially since times are consistently changing and uh, progressing. So like, for example, years ago, non-binary would not have been a gender choice, you know what I mean? Whereas now it is. So um, I think it's more, it's not necessarily about trying to reach a certain level um, or optimum level of DEI. I think it's more so just being open to uh, change and just remaining adaptable as things do change. Yeah, I think that that's important. It was just a little bit of, what do you think about that? Because people kind of, you know, use check boxes for DEI. And that's something that is very, a little bit, um, confusing to me because it's like oh once we reach here we'll be great or once we have this program we'll be good or or, or once we have this we'll, 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 we'll look some of the heat will be off of us right and that's not what it what it should be at all and just from the fact that we have a gender as non-binary and people are open and are now understanding what pronouns are and not looking at it like, oh, what is that? I remember somebody, I used to be an orientation leader and I had, um, it was it was around 2017 and that was when pronouns were, were people, we, we, it, was, it, was, it was growing that people was openly wanting to be received as what they want to be received, right? Rightfully so. So um, we was implementing those and parents used to be like, what? What did you just say at the end of your of your of your of your name? What what is what is he him? What is that? Can you explain? Like and 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 it's and it's totally fine. I love parents because 
they will be open. They want to know everything and they're not afraid to say what it is, especially if it's for their student. So that was just a great point of time for me because from those from three years ago to now, it's just so much growth that happened to it. Like that's on my email list. That's when I go on Zoom. That's when I introduce myself in front of a large group of, of people. And I say my pronouns and I have the button on my car and, and it's, I see it everywhere and nobody, I don't get as much questions as I used to get about what that is. So I just, and that's just me being more of an ally and understanding and that people want to be received as what they want to receive. Somebody could automatically assume that I'm he and his, but that if, unless I tell you that, then you shouldn't assume that. So that's just me being an ally and, and loving that communities and just especially UB in general is just being more conforming to that and um, more open. And I don't get as much questions as I used to. So that's, that's amazing for movement. I was going to say two things you said that um, really struck a note with me. One of them was assumptions. Mm -hmm. I think once again, with every group that's all encompassing in DEI is that people make assumptions and assumptions shouldn't be made. Like that should not be the expectation of, Oh, Melkaja is a boy. So I'm going to address him as such. Not necessarily, you know, whatever someone's expression is, is dependent on them and whatever they want to be recognized as. And then um, the second thing you mentioned, I think you said about uh, not just assumptions, but when you said about just like being more comfortable in those groups and the fact that you're an ally to some groups. I think that that is so important because my white friends, my Asian friends, my Hispanic friends, they don't know what it's like to be black. They don't know what it's like for me to identify as a black woman either. But even though they can't understand what it's like to be me, they can still be an ally to me. They can still uh, support the fact that black women in America are seriously underappreciated. You know what I mean? So I think um, those two points in terms of assumptions, uh, that's really good to bring up in terms of the fact that people have to kind of get that out of their mindset, um, but also in terms of being an ally. You may not know exactly what it's like to walk in my shoes, but you can still be there for me while I do. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Allies. Being an ally, that's where I was going with it. And that is, I, I think that's the most important thing because we were not like, I would never understand certain things. It's me acknowledging my own privilege of, yes, I'm black, but I'm also a man. So I have privilege in the workplace, just being outside and just having a certain prestige of, of people going to listen to me more because I am a male. So just acknowledging that I have that privilege is important that I would never understand how it would feel to be a, a under, underrepresented black woman going into the field, getting the pay cuts and having to go through uh, gender bias in the workplace and all that other things. I would never understand that. However, I'm not going to sit here and say it doesn't exist. I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, I don't see it that often. So does it exist? Or um, that's, that's when somebody is telling you something, how, what they go through, don't invalidate them and don't be like oh man you know i'm sorry uh just oh that's 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 annoying it sounds like it or just like empathy not sympathy like saying like oh that's so sorry you have to go through that yes i know it is it is however just like what can i do to help you improve that like can i just how can i be here for you in that moment so that's what i learned over the course of my time and um and moving with that, and to throw another question out there, um, what do you think, so we have a diverse call right now, where we, we have, um, 
you know, white individuals and black individuals. So we all have a different role to play. So what do you think is your every, everyone's role in, in DEI in terms of your demographic? And I know Anders was saying it a little bit, but uh, so I'll throw it to Marianne just to kick it off. Well, you know, obviously the allyship and speaking up. Um, I, I grew up in Buffalo. Uh, from time to time, I hear something that I don't like and I'll address it, even if it's a close friend. To me, it goes back to teaching and learning, never in an attacking fashion, but in a way that we can hopefully uh, get to the place where the person really sees the, um, you know, the, the damage that comments like that do and the way that they hold back progress and reinforce old notions and stereotypes. Absolutely. And it's, it's just, you know, in, in my role here, I would never say that it's my role to help our faculty. My faculty helped me as, as much as I would hope to lend assistance in any area that anyone wants to gain more knowledge in. About two weeks ago, we had a, a program on implicit bias for our faculty and staff, and it was fantastic. And I got so much email from my colleagues saying how eye-opening that was. And that was you know, 90 minutes from, a, from a Dr. Maura Bellavo, who runs the Center for Diversity and Innovation, who's highly talented and skilled and just had an incredible program for us where every single person learned at least one thing, if not more. And I've just never had that kind of reaction to a program that we've had. Even when people are happy about a program, I just got email and I got, I got comments of how vitally important that was for people that really thought they knew so much about this and everyone came away learning. So I just see my role wherever there's, again, an opportunity to step in with some enlightenment and also to receive as much enlightenment as I can. That's really how I see my place. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I love that. I was going to say, um, I think it goes back to the point of playing both sides. So for me, it's in terms of helping the individuals around me be more educated about what I'm knowledgeable in. Um, so that's my own experiences or the experiences of perhaps even like family or friends. So um, definitely being that informative piece, but also um, being a listening ear and understanding other people's experiences as well and being receptive to feedback um, in anything, like we said before, in terms of um, we all make mistakes, we may say the wrong thing. So uh, both sides in terms of me helping to be informative to people that may not understand my the walk in my shoes, but also being um, uh, receptive to learning new things. Yes, absolutely. Anything last to add, Anders? You know, I think maybe the, the only thing I'll add here is that I think um, we shouldn't place all of the burden on the shoulders of people who, you know, don't match our demographic or don't, you know, fit um, the different, you know, uh, diversity distinctions that, that we fit within. Right. What I mean by that is, you know, don't, if, if you have a question about race, don't always go to your black friend and say, can you tell me more about this? Thank you. <laughs> um, I do not know everything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, that's a lot of baggage and a lot of weight for somebody to have to carry. And you know what? There's a lot of information out there that we as individuals can go and gather on our own without having to place all of that burden on somebody else. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Andres. There's so much that's been written the past few months about, especially in organizations, that um, Black and African Americans, uh, employees especially, have been saying the same thing for decades and over and over and over, and they really haven't you know, been heard to the extent that they should have been. 
all of a sudden everything exploded this summer and they're being asked to be on every panel for the company and they're asked to help uh, host town halls you know and, and I can from what I can gather there's a level of exhaustion to all of this where it's sort of up to others to you know be proactive and find the information on their own and invite their colleagues in but with the understanding that you know it's not more pressure or expectation to have to carry the load of this really difficult topic now that so many people seem to be really interested in it that's so important that clearly <laughs> that's so important and it's 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 all about how we act how you how we asked how we ask uh, our colleagues to be involved in this conversation. I was talking uh, with Marianne about this um, on the side, and it's just, um, I think we both agree that it's like what you, with what Marianne just said, it's how you have to ask them to be invited to the space um, and not asking them to run the space and do everything for you. It's just asking them to, we, this is an influential conversation that we want to have, and we would love for you to be a part of it. And nobody's going to say no to that. Well, you will run into problems if you say, oh, come host this uh, meeting, please, or come do this training. And I'm like, I'm just a regular person. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I think, I think that's, that's very key and, and a great point that everybody just made. It's extremely, extremely great points. And last thing I wanted to talk about before we wrap it up is um, social media really quickly. Um, and social media, I feel is really controlling the diversity, inclusion, and equity space. Um, because as you know, it's growing. And I don't know about you all, but that's the main way I get my news. Uh, <laughs> if it's getting a, a, a ping on my phone, uh, or if it's going on social media, Twitter, and seeing what the updates are about CDC, et cetera. So, you know, and I know um, Rebecca also has like a, a YouTube and she does her thing on there. Shout out to to Rebecca's YouTube, check that out. And, but I want to kind of ask you, Rebecca, first, like what role does social media play in um, diversity, equity, and inclusion? And is if, and if so, what, is it good or is it bad? Yeah, I'm actually glad you um, have that follow-up question because I think there are good and bad pieces to um, its role. Uh, so on the good side, when there was a lot of social unrest um, around like June-ish in the black right. community, um, and I was posting a lot like on my stories, YouTube, whatever. Um, I had other friends like students in UB that were from different countries like India, China, wherever, mm -hmm. um, asking me a lot of questions like, I don't want to come off rude, like these were their questions. I don't want to come off rude, but I genuinely don't understand like how black people are affected or like if you didn't know, know George Floyd, then like why are you sad or why are you mm -hmm. whatever? And I would explain to them um, for me, it hits home because I have a black father. I have two black older brothers. And it's like when I watch a video of a man be murdered, I can't help but see their faces. Um, so I think it, the good side of it is being that, like I just uh, said before, being that piece of information giving to other individuals and being able to um, spread awareness. So that's the good side. However, unfortunately, there is a bad side to it. And I think um, a lot of the bad side is miscommunication. People are very comfortable behind their screens mm -hmm. um, to share whatever they want to say about whatever topic. Um, people are very comfortable to comment whatever they want to comment. 
And it's scary sometimes, the types of comments people leave. Um, and I don't think people realize the effect that their comments have on individuals that read them. Um, sometimes people just think it's just words. It's never just words. And to suggest that they are is incredibly dismissive. So um, I think social media has a, a really good place. So like, for example, the things that happen in the Black community now are not new. Like this has been happening. Um, and there was this one image surfacing a while ago of black people centuries ago unfortunately that were lynched and the caption said we couldn't breathe then and we still can't breathe now this is nothing new like it keeps happening but the difference between then and now is that we have social media which means individuals who capture video that video spreads like wildfire so i think change is starting to um matric matriculate in our communities a lot quicker now um, because we have that vehicle of social media, but of course, you know, people still share ignorant comments and have their own ideals of what how things should be handled or how people should be treated. So there is that bad piece, but I, I think for the most part, social media really does have um, such a powerful role in how we get information out there. And even in terms of like signing petitions, that was one of my favorite things was like telling people like, please sign the petition. Like it takes two seconds, like read the article, donate if you can, like do whatever you can. So. Right. Absolutely. I'm not sure I can add anything to that, Rebecca. I think you <laughs> this really brilliantly, and that really is the essence of it. Yeah, I think you said a lot of powerful. You dropped a lot of powerful gems in that in that in that one abbreviation. That was that was amazing. Uh, what I really wanted to add on to was the comments made by some of like your um, Asian, white, um, different demographic friends, which is okay to 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 you i see that you're you're aware of the situation and you generally want to know ask a question that that's that's fine um i never really seen nothing wrong with that because that's an educating moment for for me so i can do for my friends who actually care and they're reaching out so that's a gen that's a genuine gesture right uh however uh sometimes i had a lot of friends tell me of uh, personal close friends that were uh that were white tell me that uh you know, sometimes I was posting about George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and other black people would tell them to take that, those posts down or take those, those allyship posts. It's like black people are telling them to take that down. So that was, that is the side of this that I don't like that African-Americans play because sometimes they do turn off the idea of allyship and I can't disregard that. You know, so I definitely hold uh, my people accountable for that type of situation. However, I do say that um, nobody, those people are, you're always going to find those people, just like they're going to find people in every demographic that do wrong things. Like not every police officer is bad. A majority of police officers are amazing individuals who want to do their job. Like, and not all people are racist. Like, I, I would definitely agree with that. I don't look on somebody automatically and think that they're racist, or right. no matter what, how many experiences that I encountered, which I encountered a lot. So, but I don't automatically think a whole race is like that. So um, you, it's the same thing when you're posting stuff about being an ally, about situations that are going on, social injustices. So I think that's just a word to, to everyone is don't be afraid to show that allyship because guess what? I'm looking at that. Rebecca's looking at that. Everybody else in the school of management is looking at that to show that they're appreciated and um, that I'm not alone in this. So um, don't quit because somebody is, it disagreed with you. 
And um, so that's, that's the good thing about social media is that we can see that. And that actually made me feel better when I saw a lot of um, people doing that. And also TikTok, I, I, I would never get on that <laughs> app. TikTok is a new app that is very dangerous uh, because it, it, it's, it's a lot of, like, like Rebecca said, you can hide behind the computer screen and make videos that have definitely derogatory terms in them and just very, you know, a lot of stuff that I don't want to get into, but it's just, it's very scary to see that and to think like people around my age and parents are teaching their kids to not be okay with other demographics. Mm -hmm. It's really tough. Social media showing that light, but um, that's just a little bit of the good and bad that I've seen. Can can I um, just quickly comment as well on something Rebecca said, which was Please. about the comments in social Please. media. I was actually talking with my wife about this, this week, <laughs> um, where she was like, I need to just get a t-shirt that says, don't read the comments. <laughs> um, because it's like, it's a lot. And, yeah. and I think the worst beyond that, just a little bit is that you know, in social media, you, you can have a post that goes viral and suddenly you have hundreds of thousands of people responding to what you said. And that is very difficult, right? It, just from the human standpoint for a second, because inevitably there will be people who, who disagree with you. Inevitably, there will be people who attack you. Um, there will be, you know, it'll run the spectrum. And that as an individual, we just don't know how to process that. Um, you know, Mal, you mentioned that sometimes when, you know, maybe when it comes to race, if uh, someone who is white will post something that then someone who is black says, take that down, mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 there's this conflict of, well, mm -hmm. I thought I was being an ally. Am I not? Um, mm -hmm. and, and that conflict is real. And, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's important. Uh, you cannot invalidate it, right? The point that I generally go back to is, well, what am I doing for the people who are around me? How am I being, you know, if I sure, I can be an ally on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram and all of these different social media platforms. But what does that mean to my friend, ultimately? How am I ultimately helping the people that are really surrounding me in my community? And, you know, if they recognize my support and if they know that my support is real and genuine, I think I fall back on that. Absolutely, man. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I think that is a perfect way to say our final thoughts about um, the topic, about anything else you want to say regarding um, upcoming plans about diversity, equity, inclusion, or anything like that. Um, so just final thoughts, and I'll go around and give it to Rebecca first. Yeah, my final thoughts is just continuing my education. Um, just understanding other people's experiences, how I can better uh, help and serve them, how I can be a better member of my own community and sphere of influence. So definitely just continuing education and being more informed of what's going on in the world. Absolutely. Uh, Marianne? I've learned from people that have been in this fight um, for equity and fairness. Uh, it's um, in social justice. I've known people that have been in it for a lot of decades and I've been told very clearly several times this summer and it's, it's really stuck with me is that there's a window open here. There's a window that's been open through a series of terrible events that we want to keep open, but other things might come along and force it closed again. And for all the learning that we're doing, for all of the effort that we're putting into this, 
and the building of our awareness that this is something that has to continue for our lifetime. It's just not something, it's just not a 2020 thing by any means. It's a lifelong effort and you know it's it's up to us to just continue to focus and help and work wherever we can yeah and i would say i i agree with with both statements and also it's 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 going to be a long journey and it's, it's just beginning i think the events that happened for this year last year year before that 2008 all the all the things that happen right now is the time that we cannot let off the gas and it's it, it and i'm grateful that we have this time to not let go of the gas because of social media because of the time we're in because of how life and interactions is literally changing before our eyes literally this literally it's it's literally to the point where you can't you you can't run away from this conversation wherever you go no matter what you're going to work even if you're an entrepreneur you're going to school you go on social media in the news you cannot run from this conversation so now I'm grateful for that and also in terms of being the change we want to see this is when I I urge students to go go through academia go get your phd go get your law degrees, change the laws that's in place that allowed the ruling to happen for Breonna Taylor. Change those laws. You don't like what's going on, change that. We have to be in those positions of power to change that because those laws are in place. What matter the laws, what matter who makes the laws, we have a direct impact in that. So let's change that because once we're fighting on this side, and once we actually have allyship on the other side, there's no, there's no way we're going to lose. So keep fighting. Please let this be a spark for everybody and show that we're all in this together and, you know, hug one another, man. Say, 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 I love you to your sister, your brother. Um, you don't, you don't disagree. You disagree. You have different political views. Um, you may not agree with, um, you might want to shoot a basketball. I might want to kick it, whatever it is. Like we're all human and just love one another, man, and truly embrace differences. Um, and that's all I have to say on that. An immense thank you to Malkaja for leading that conversation and for inviting me right back on to be a guest in the discussion. Special thanks as well to Marianne Rogers and Rebecca Reed for sharing their insight, their wisdom, and their stories with us. Rebecca, I know you're focused on accounting, but do keep the MBA program in mind. We need more leaders like you. The Manageable Podcast is produced by me, Anders T. Rosian, in partnership with the UB School of Management. Special thanks to Dean Paul Teslick, Assistant Dean Aaron O'Brien, Assistant Director of Recruitment Aaron Shaw, and Assistant Director of Marketing Harrison Chung. Fans of the Manageable Podcast can find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google, as well as a number of other listening platforms. So don't forget to leave a review of Manageable in your favorite podcast app, and of course, to subscribe. You are subscribed, of course, right? Yeah, I don't need to tell you twice. You're smart folks, so you're definitely subscribed. Want to learn more about the podcast? Reach out to me at AndersRO at Buffalo.edu. And of course... 
visit the UB School of Management website at mgt.buffalo.edu. I'm Anders T. Rosian, and how am I managing? Any better, I couldn't stand it. <laughs>